Turn to the book of 2 Timothy. We're continuing our look at this book as we walk through it. As you're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I uh, tell you about this guy I heard about who just, he had had it. You know, the rat race of living life in America and all the chaos and noise. And he decided that he needed something different for his life and decided to make a pretty radical decision of joining a monastery. And he was going to spend the rest of life in a monastery. And this guy's hardcore. He went to a monastery where you were only allowed to speak two words a year. Unless there's an emergency, we're hearing from you for two words. Uh, that was going to be done on December 31st. And you tell your two words to the head guy. So he gets there, and um, far from being just like this wonderful spiritual renewal place, I monastery he chose was end up looking a lot more like prison to him. It was pretty austere, very meager conditions. And so at the end of the first year, December 31st, he makes his appearance before the head guy, and he's going to give his two words, and he says this, room cold. All right. Well, you know, so he waited through the next year, second year, December 31st, he says, Golden opportunity is two words. He makes his appearance before the head guy and he says this, bed hard. Third year, food bland. Well, then he goes fourth year. By the fourth year, opportunity to say his two words. He said this, I quit. And that head guy said, that's just fine. All you have done is complain since you got here. You know, I'll tell you, I wish it wasn't true, but you're going to find some folks that just aren't going to be happy from time to time. You're going to run into divisive people. It could be painful and it will be harmful. And I want you to know you're going to encounter them in a kind of a wide arena of places. You might show up in your family or extended family, um, in your department, at work, in your neighborhood, in your small group, can show up even at church where you have divisive people. They're either going to be promoting some idea, they're unhappy about something, they've got some false doctrine, they got a specific twist on a particular passage of scripture, and they just kind of using it to create division wherever they go. Now, we're not talking about people that have legitimate concerns that are presenting them with the right heart, uh, the right spirit, with uh, with grace. No, we're, we're talking about those who are prone to be divisive, contentious, cantankerous, and discordant over a wide variety of issues. And I want you to know that divisive behavior can be more harmful and devastating than you might think. Misery loves company. Let me just talk a little bit about how divisive people work. Um, they are not interested in uh, unity. Not even interested in understanding so much as they are about winning. They want you on their side. And if they, if they can't get you to validate their view or their feeling, what happens is they're going to give you the cold shoulder and they'll start to isolate you. And kind of this hostile, polarizing kind of attitude, this kind of behavior is kind of almost valued in our country. It's, it's kind of like this. It's almost like to be aggressive. An antagonistic is seen as like an American right. This is, after all, the First Amendment in action, that if I'm not happy, I can tear you up. And this, is, this happens all the time. Contentious people, they go for ad hominem attacks. They attack the person, the individual. They don't really want reconciliation, not so interested in unity. They want to win. 
and they'll talk to anyone who is willing to listen to them. Now, let me just tell you this acrimonious behavior in people, it's, it's really driven by a lot of pride. And let me give you just some behavioral uh, characteristics that are found in those who are divisive. They prefer to make criticism privately rather than to the person that they're criticizing. They will gossip against some member of the group, uh, some member of the family or the leader. They're not interested in solving the problem. Uh, if they have been uh, charged with some sort of wrongdoing, they completely downplay it and dismiss it all together or just, or just make it seem a far less than it really is. They refuse to submit to authority. They're prideful and arrogant. And they are the exact, exact opposite of what James says. They are quick to speak and slow to hear. Now, uh, I want you to know that this, they can be non-believers, but even believers, genuine Christians, can be divisive. Now, uh, all of us have the potential to be divisive. And probably at one time or another, you and I probably have been, right? Some people, though, uh, maybe it's rarely or on occasionally, they got like a divisive streak about them and they go public with it. There are some people, and maybe you've met them, hopefully you're not one of them, that this is a way of life, being divisive. How do you deal with people that are cantankerous and divisive? Now, as we're going through the book of 2 Timothy here, let me just kind of bring you up to speed if you're kind of new here. In chapter 2, Paul commissions in his final letter, he commissions his protege Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, in chapter 2, verse 2, that he is going to basically to make disciples. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful witnesses who will be able to teach others also. Timothy is to be about the Great Commission like Jesus talked about in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he is to be involved in the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. In chapter 2, verse 15, Timothy is told you are to be diligent to show yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You handle the word of God accurately. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, you are to be a vessel, verse 20, of honor. Like your life is being poured out for God's honorable use. You are to be involved in bringing health, maturity in Christ, the gospel. But you need to be aware of something, Timothy. There are going to be some people that are going to try to get you, people in your church, off track. They are divisive, and that's exactly what he deals with at the end of the chapter. How do you deal with divisive people? Let's take a look at it, beginning in verse 23. He says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. How do you deal with divisive people? Uh, Before first service, I was out there in the foyer, and a guy came up to me, bulletin in hand, and he said, did my wife call you this week? And he goes, I see what you're talking about. Uh, I had to assure him, uh, no, uh, she didn't. I, did, I didn't ask, like, should she have? Uh, just like, I don't have time. But maybe we'll address it in the message. Not thinking of anyone in particular. How do you deal with divisive people? Well, let's take a look at the scriptures. Praise God we have his word on the issue. Look at verse 23. 
You refuse to quarrel. You see that? But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. So the, this word uh, foolish, it's where we get our word moron from. It's moros. It has the idea of, of talk that is devoid of wisdom. It lacks sense. And then he says ignorant speculations. Ignorant has the eye of unlearned, uh, untrained, um, even undisciplined. Ignorant speculations, that which is controversial, seriously disputed. There's no certain basis of truth. Whether it be false doctrine or fake news, he says, man, stay clear, refuse to quarrel. You know, and fake news is getting quite a bit of press lately. Fake news is the idea that you deliberately spread misinformation to mislead people. And so kind of how it works in our society, like, uh, you know, you got all these folks and all these different networks and they're talking about all these things as if they may be true. And it's meant to create division, but it happens everywhere. It happens on the web. It happens on the news. People blog about it. And so he says, when you find folks that are divisive, cantankerous, he says, refuse to quarrel. You see, quarrels has the idea of fighting, and God does not want his people fighting over foolish things that are not true, speculation, myths, that sort of stuff. And so what happens when, when you start engaging all these speculations? Let me just tell you, if you're a leader, what, this ha- what happens in your group or in your church? They start to question scripture. They distort the truth. It creates doubt. Uh, it weakens faith. It undermines confidence in the Lord. It compromises convictions. And it produces quarrels. And the scripture explicitly says, that's not for us. You need to stay away. It produces quarrels. Now, in our society, we are very quick to engage in harsh tactics. I mean, it is so commonplace, you have come to expect it. But just take a step back and look at it. I mean, harsh language is used. If you want to, if someone's upset, you could just sue anybody for almost anything. And it happens all the time. If you're not getting the response you want, if, if you are got an agenda... Well, you could just take to social media and you can just go off on individuals and, and in some cases even resort to violence. But you need to remember that if you were a follower of Jesus, he's called you to a higher standard and a different way of life is the life of Christ. Uh, this past year, I heard of um, a particular student in a public school that decided to go off on social media on one of their teachers said a bunch of stuff that was cruel, mean, untrue, undocumented, just went off. In social media today, those sort of things take off like wildfire. It went through the entire school and eventually made its way to the teacher. Friends, I'll, I'll tell you, that sort of behavior, that's the quarrelsome. It's foolish and it's ignorant. And we are to stay away Timothy is told in verse 14, verse 23, and verse 24, you're to avoid useless quarrels. And really, it's a daily battle. Your flesh might want to engage like that, but Jesus is saying, you follow me. In case you think like, well, great, come on now, that's not really a big deal. It's very interesting that the New Testament gives a lot of attention to the idea and the issue of divisive people. Uh, Take a look at what uh, Paul tells Titus. Uh, Titus is setting up churches, finding elders uh, on the island of Crete. 
And in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, he identifies pitfalls that will drain the life of a church. Foolish controversies and factious people. So in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. It's kind of an idea like, listen, you got these folks that are mixing truth with air. It's like contaminating your water. It's going to make a lot of people sick. He says, you need to avoid this altogether. And sort of the kind of the they had controversies. They had foolish fake news back then, just like we do now. False narratives that are out there. But they also had theological um, disputes. Let me give you some of those that Paul is telling them to steer clear and the time of Paul, about 2,000 years ago. So you had folks that are saying you've got to impose the Jewish law of clean and unclean foods. And it created a lot of division among Christians or following Sabbath regulations or the observance of Jewish holy days. And you get people to quibble and fight about it. And it's basically you're either in our camp or you're not. Uh, they would be uh, the imposition of like focusing on genealogies, whether they are the genealogies of the Bible or they were so hybrid, they actually created genealogies of angels. I don't know how they did it. Obviously, totally fabricated, but you could get people all hung up on these sort of things. And he says they're unprofitable and they are worthless. They would, uh, some of these people were very good at taking intricate regulations and imposing it upon a Christian life. And Paul is writing, listen, have nothing to do with it. In our day, what this looks like is you've got folks that uh, say that uh, you've got to, They'll take an obscure interpretation of a particular verse or passage and they become kind of like one issue people and they just basically try to create divisions with their take. Or uh, this happens for millions of people that traditions are imposed upon them and you must do this, follow these rituals, observe these days in this way. All of this he's saying is, listen, avoid these foolish controversies. Um, uh, another one that's out there is something called the Bible Code or the Torah Code. There was a book written uh, called the Bible Code a while back. They made a movie about it called the Omega Code. And this is kind of the idea that the Bible has hidden meanings. And so you take like every 50th Hebrew letter and you start under uncovering like a message, a secret message that God is communicating through the Bible. Friends, I can assure you that is not how God intended us to study and to know the word. He's a God of clarity and of truth. And yet you got folks, they make these emphasis. And Titus was also told by Paul in verses 10 and 11, listen to this. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. He says, reject a factious individual. A factious person creates divisions, being schismatic. Uh, it has the idea that one who makes a choice... A person who causes division. It's kind of like, which way are you going? Okay, but I want he's there, this individual, guy or gal, looks to create division, cause splits. And what they're trying to do is get people to go along with their view, to validate their take. And if you don't go along with them, you won't jump into their bandwagon. They're going to give you the cold shoulder or even worse. Are you with me or not? He says, avoid and reject a factious individual after you've warned them. A first and a second time, because he said, really, they're perverted and they're sinning. That word perverted uh, was a medical term like to mean to twist, like, like if you twist your ankle, these people are twisted in what they're doing. He says, just avoid them altogether. They are self-condemned. 
uh, remember when we went through the book of Romans? Kind of like the ultimate treatise on the gospel. In Romans chapter 16, they give a lot of personal uh, introductions to various people and welcoming and greetings. But at the end of the book of Romans, establishing the gospel in the churches, Paul gives these words in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learn, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. There is a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala. He's in New York, Metropolitan Tabernacle, just a significant work of God. He writes in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He writes this. About 20 years ago, I said something impromptu to the new members standing in a row across the front of the church. As we received them, the Holy Spirit prompted me to add, and now I charge you that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander and against anyone, myself, an usher, a choir member, or anyone else, that you stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Simbola? Let's go to his office right now. He'll apologize to you, and then we'll pray together so God can restore the peace to this body. But we won't let you talk critically about people who aren't present to defend themselves. I'm serious about this. I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately. And know this, if you are ever the one doing the loose talking, we'll confront you. And then he writes this. To this day, every time I receive new members, I say much the same thing. That's because I know what most easily destroys churches. It's not crack cocaine, government oppression, or even a lack of funds. Rather, it is gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. Friends, what do you do when you face off of a divisive individual or someone that's acting acrimonious? You refuse to quarrel because, friends, I'll tell you, divisiveness destroys a church's joy. It distracts people from the work of God. Instead of being focused on the gospel, instead of investing in people and making disciples, man, I'll tell you what, divisive people, they really, they're pretty happy just to get you in conflict. And he says, don't. Refuse to quarrel. One of the things that requires is that you and I exercise what is called discernment. That means that you're going to have to process how you're going to handle what's in front of you. So you might want to ask these questions. Um, is this scriptural truth or is this just speculative thought? Another question. Is this conversation building up the body of Christ or tearing it down or a third? Is this conversation marked by wisdom and godliness or arrogance, anger and a lack of self-control? There are going to be foolish arguments that will come up from time to time. What you want to do is you want to try to change the subject. And if that is not possible, you simply politely walk away. But you refuse to quarrel. Now, you might have to warn the individual, listen, what you're doing is divisive. But you're not going to be the fighter. Let me give you a second here that you find right here in the text. 
How do you deal with divisive people? You, the text says, what? Refuse to quarrel, verse 23. But look at verse 24. You need to remember whom you serve. He says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. This is the idea, the bondservant has the idea that you're a slave. And he says, if you are the Lord's servant, you're not to be quarrelsome. This is the word, quarrelsome is the word that was used, it's a military word, used for hand-to-hand combat. I mean, where you got guys that are just going at it to the death. I mean, they're going after the face, neck, it's hand-to-hand combat. He's saying, I don't want you to be a fighter with your words. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. How you see yourself really will determine how you function, how you live your lives. You see, if you see yourself as a king or a queen, then you kind of expect that the world kind of revolves around you. It's all about you, and you're pretty disappointed when you're not getting your way. And you're discouraged if it's not going the way you want. And so what happens is you have a tendency to move into sinful behavior. You can become divisive. On the other hand, though, if you are really the Lord's bondservant, meaning you really know Christ, and you've settled the lordship issue in your life, you're following Jesus, well, then that changes everything, doesn't it? you got a different set of priorities, and you are concerned about what would the master want. The clearest picture of a servant that I can give you is actually Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God, do you remember the eternal Son of God? He enters into humanity. He takes the form of, uh, Philippians 2 says, a bondservant. Christ, the eternal Son of God, perfect, without sin, He enters into humanity and he takes the form of a servant. Why? To do the Father's will. And that's, friends, is what we're called to do. It's not about you being right and about what you want. It's about what Jesus wants. And he's the Lord. He's the master. We're the servant. And so that's what we ask. I I want you to know that you need to remember whom you serve. If it is Christ, I want to give you two questions. I've given them to you before. They're called the maturity questions. But these two questions have been very helpful for me. I've paid some tuition on them when I have not asked and answered them. But ask these two questions. Lord, what would maturity in Christ look like in this situation or this relationship? What would that look like? And then second, ask this. Lord, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to do just this? I'll tell you that divisive people, they kind of lose sight of God and his glory. It gets very horizontal, very earthly. But you and I, we find that our identity is in Christ, and that is going to shape our interactions with others. So how do you respond when you face divisive people? Well, remember, refuse to quarrel. Remember who you serve. And then finally, look at the rest of these verses here in this passage. Respond with grace. He says, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. They have the idea of being gentle. You see, kindness calms a lot of heated people. In fact, it's the idea that you could win people over by being kind. And so you need to understand that people should be able to talk with us and you should be able to talk with others without them feeling insulted or intimidated by you. And one of the keys of doing that when you're dealing with a divisive individual is try to separate the person's ideas from the person themselves. And so you can disagree with them, but you also at the same time want to treat with respect, 
kindness in a gentle way. And if you can do this, you know what you'll do? You will model for these individuals a way of health, a way of maturity in Christ on how to deal with these things. Oftentimes, divisive people have really suffered by not actually having good models. You can show them. And he says, do so by showing kindness. I like what Vicki Edwards said. She said this, it's nice to talk with people who can make a point without impaling anyone on it. That's the kind of people we want to be. Kind, gentle. Notice what he says. Verse 24, you are also to be able to teach. That means you're skilled in teaching. You have the ability to communicate understanding and knowledge. And don't miss this. Verse 24, see how it ends? Patient when wronged. This perhaps is the hardest um, instruction that is found in dealing with divisive people. To be patient when wronged literally means to face ill treatment without resentment. Patient under evils and injuries. That you are patient. I'll tell you that your old self is not going to want to be patient. You're going to want to fight. You're going to like, that's it, and we're going to settle the matter, and you're going to create some sort of scene. I want you to know that if you are a leader, there are times where you are going to come under attack. It's going to happen. Someone's going to challenge you. They're going to put you under a personal attack. How do you handle it? What do you do? This text is golden. Let me give you another. If you're a leader... You either have gone through it, you're in it, or you will go through it. You might want to write down 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. That is like the leader's playbook on how you handle people that are divisive and that are personally attacking you. In that passage, in chapter 2, verses 21 and 23 of 1 Peter, he says this, Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what Jesus did. <clears throat> he just kept putting this in the Father's hands, and that's what we need to do. You see, we need to be patient when we're wrong. This requires the work of the Spirit. It's like police officers. Um, got a lot of respect for police officers. My brother, one of my brothers, is a lieutenant outside of Nashville. He is the commander of the SWAT teams there. And police officers, like especially in our present time, they face abuse, verbal abuse, on a pretty regular basis. People feel like they can just go up and say whatever they want to them. Uh, it's interesting. You, these police officers are in very dangerous situations. They're always putting their life on the line. We're deeply grateful. It's why you should probably actually show some appreciation and just thank them. But what happens, though, is that do you ever notice how they handle themselves well, even when they're under pressure and they're facing these difficulties? Even when chaos is going around them, they're handling themselves with grace. They are patient when wrong. That's how you and I are to be. And then notice what he says then in verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. This word gentleness uh, was used of like horses that had been broke. That you could ride them and they could be useful. And there was that great trust relationship between rider and horse. I will tell you that bucking horses may make for good rodeos. 
but they are harmful to the health of a church. So he says, the Lord's bondservants, they must be gentle, correcting those who are in opposition. You see that? And then look at verse 25. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, God is the one who has to bring about a change of mind, which will lead to a change of behavior. So he says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. You see, God's not only gracious, he is sovereign in his graciousness. And if you've got an unbeliever who's believing things that are not true, their state is spiritually dead. What they need is life. They need truth. Only God can do that. You can't. You can bring them. You can be the messenger, but you can't change hearts. And if you're dealing with a believer who is believing something that is not true, false doctrine, fake narrative, fake news, whatever it might be, look at what this text says. God is the one who must grant them repentance. God is the one who will change their thinking. And notice what he says. That pray that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, that they might return to soberness and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This, my friends, is a deeply alarming verse to me, verse 26. You see that? It tells us, that the devil can actually hold people captive to do his will. If you're a non-believer, you are still in what, like Colossians 1.13, refers to as the domain of darkness. You are still under the sway of Satan. You are dead spiritually. You need life, and that life is found in Christ, the resurrected one, who provides forgiveness of sins, And by virtue of his resurrected life, if you trust in him, believe in him, you can have genuine spiritual life. But you also need to know that if you are a believer, verse 26, you could actually be held captive by the devil to do his will. This is not saying that a believer is then infused with like a demon or Satan. If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, like it says in Ephesians like 1.13, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit enters into the life of the believer at the moment they believe, and you are always eternally His, if indeed you truly are trusting in Him. It's not some sort of subsequent event. But you need to understand, though, though Satan cannot occupy your life, he can influence it. You see that in verse 26? having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, what he's using is the imagery of how they hunted animals, whether it be like wild boar or a lion or a bird, um, deer. They would set out nets. Sometimes they would use dogs in this, and they'd kind of get this wild boar heading in this particular direction, and then they have this net, and they would get that animal caught up in the net. And that animal was fighting around, and it just made matters worse because it was caught in the net. What he's saying is that can happen to even believers. You can get caught up in the snare of the devil. And what this tells us is this. This is a dangerous situation. I want you to know that the same language is actually used in probably one of the most surprising places about being a believer 
being actually caught in the snare of the devil. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, they list the qualifications and the characteristics, the skills needed and the character needed for an elder. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, that section on, on an elder actually ends with this warning to an elder that even an elder, an overseer, can fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Are you serious? Absolutely. It can happen. And it does. And so he says, listen, what we need to do is we need to treat this situation with great grace and kindness. We need to pray that God will bring repentance. It's kind of like this. In spiritual warfare, sometimes people that are being divisive, they may act like enemy combatants, but they're really more like POWs. They've been captured and they're ensnared. And I'll tell you, sin is, I think, far more dangerous and devastating than we normally give it credit to. In Steve Farrar's book, Finishing Strong, he says this when he talks about the terrible price of sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And so the Lord's bondservant, you, you don't want to be engaging with bitterness and vengeance and anger, but rather graciousness, kindness, and patience. Richard C. Halverson, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, he said, the best piece of advice that was ever given to me was this. Use ideas like seeds, not bullets. Use ideas like seeds, seeds that you're planting, not bullets. So how do you do this when you've got someone that is seeking to break down unity, whether it's in your family, at work, uh, on your team, at school, in your church? You need to understand that divisive people bring a significant challenge. But remember that God is in control. And pray that God will bring a change of heart. Follow the scriptures. And, I mean, that means that you, in some cases you're going to have to warn them. But you're always going to refuse to quarrel. You are not going to enter the tit-for-tat kind of uh, arguments that people want you to engage in. And you want to understand that it's God who permits repentance. People are caught in the enemy's snare. So pray that God would change hearts and that God would give you the ability to be merciful and gracious in the situation. And really, all of us at one point have been divisive, right? We all need the gospel of grace. We just keep going back to Jesus. You see, in Jesus, we find, we find repentance, a brokenness over our sin. We find fresh faith in following him. We find the ability to forgive each other, to extend it and to receive it. And after all, that's what the Lord wants. So friends, just imagine this. What would it look like if this passage was actually how we dealt with divisive people? I mean, God would be honored, health would be increased, and there would be a greater unity all because of Jesus. So how do you deal with divisive people? You're going to face them. Please do not forget this passage. Refuse to quarrel. Remember whom you serve. And respond with grace. You see, the one we serve determines how we respond when we face people who are being divisive. Let's pray. Lord, only you in your word could give us such clear direction on such a difficult subject. And Lord, we want this to be our ongoing reality. 
We're your servants. This is your church. We are your people. We want to follow you closely. For someone who has come here today who's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, would they just pray with me now and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin, even my divisiveness. And I ask, Lord, for forgiveness that's found in Christ. Would you fill me with your life and lead me? And Lord, for all of us, may we walk in your ways. May we grow in maturity in Christ. May we serve you well for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.